0: You can turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. So over the last two weeks, if you've been with us, we have seen Paul's instruction concerning sort of the clothing of a Christian. So like the shedding of dirty clothes, we put off our sin, Paul instructed. And then for the sake of the unity of the church... Paul says we, we put on righteousness and we, we looked at these different uh, things that we, we put on as, as Christians in particular. We adorn ourselves with love. We are to love each other. We clothe ourselves with this and that's what people see when they look at us. And so we have seen sort of the, the put-offs. We put off our sin. We've seen the put-ons, the, the, the clothing of, of righteousness. But now Paul is going to look inwardly And so we are going to be looking at the heart of a Christian, um, put-ins, if you will. If we've seen put-offs and put-ons, now we're we're kind of looking at at the heart, the put-ins of a Christian. Um, And so we saw the the clothing we adorn ourselves with, now we look at what goes on in our heart that that kind of allows us to to do that. Uh, Would you stand with me in honor of of reading God's Word? We're going to pick up right where we left off last week in verse uh, 15. God's Word says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. God, as we approach Your Word this morning, would You speak to us? Would You use the the sword of the Word to pierce our hearts, such that we may know You better, may be convicted of sin, and encouraged to worship You more rightly? Guide us and be with us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. When Sarah and I were dating, uh, I wanted to express to her that I loved her from the the bottom of my heart, from the depth of my heart. And I wanted to do it in a funny way. And I was always just looking for ways to make Sarah laugh when we were were dating. And and so I was just goofy a, a lot of the times. And, uh, and so I was looking for a way to express to her that I love her in a way that I knew that I thought might make her laugh. I know very little about the anatomy of the heart. And so I have no idea how appropriate this was because I have no idea the significance of it. But I told her that I loved her from my left ventricle. The left ventricle of my heart. By it, I meant the bottom of my heart. The depths of my heart. And it achieved its goal. It gave us a good laugh, and that has been a a running joke in our relationship ever since. I, I love you from my left ventricle. Of course, when I tell Sarah that, and I love her from the bottom of my heart, or in that case, my left ventricle, I don't mean my physical heart that pumps blood in my body. I mean something deeper. The Bible mentions the heart almost a thousand times, one of them being in our text this morning. And it's not talking in the Bible about our physical heart that, be, that pumps our blood either. In essence, this is what the Bible means when it says heart. The heart is the, the spiritual part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell. Now, in our fallen, sinful condition, our hearts are deceitful and wicked, when God saves us, He causes us to be born again. We are given a new heart. The old heart of stone is, is cast aside and we now have a new heart of flesh that, that loves the Lord with new desires and new emotions. And it is that heart that I appeal to this morning. The heart of a Christian. The new heart. What fills your heart as a Christian? And this text gives us a picture of some of what your heart should be full of. And so let's open up our left ventricle, if you will, and to see what heart that God has given you. Let's see what should be in there if you are a Christian. So what's in the heart of a Christian? The first thing we're told is, is what ought to be in our heart is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. Now, that term peace has multiple implications in the Bible, two of which I think... Paul has in view here, verse 15, he says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. There is a, a personal sense that we have peace within ourselves because of who we are in Christ. Paul has, has spent time in chapter 2 establishing our, our union with God. We are hidden in God with Christ. And one of the results of that union is that we have a peace of Christ that rules in our heart. So what is the peace of Christ? And Jesus Himself helps us understand this peace. When He was about to be Betrayed and crucified, he sat down with his disciples one last time to encourage them, to, to leave them with some teachings that would help them once he, he left them. Those teachings are found from, from John 13 through John 17, where, where Jesus ends with a, a prayer for his disciples. So what, in that period of time, right before the crucifixion of Jesus, what could Jesus say to the disciples to encourage them as He's preparing to leave, to die on the cross, to rise from the grave, and ultimately to to ascend into heaven. Well, He said a lot of different things. We don't have the time to cover John 13 through 17 and and all that he, He taught the disciples during that little time period. But one of the things that He taught was that He was going to be leaving so that the Holy Spirit would come to be their Helper. God would be with them and indwell them in a way that has not been true for believers up until that point. Right after He teaches them that truth about the coming of the Holy Spirit, he, He says this, this is John 14, 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. Now the worldly peace of that day, that they would have immediately thought of, when he said not the peace of this world, was Pax Romana. It stood, it's Latin for, the peace of Rome. Rome said that, that if you bow to Caesar as Lord, if you submit to us, then we will give you Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. We will protect you from war. We will condemn the criminals. You can travel our guarded roads and and be safe from bandits. And Pax Romana though, if you take a a serious look at it in history, is simply a move from the fear of uncertainty towards a fear of, of Rome itself. If you are under Pax Romanda, you're under the peace of Rome, but you are under the fear of Rome as well. Well, the peace of Christ is different. The peace of Christ cast out fears. It eases troubled hearts. It's rooted in the presence of God with us. I don't leave you alone. I'm sending a helper to you, Jesus said. And he goes on to to say this about his peace in the same conversation. In chapter 16, he says, I have said these things to you that that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so no matter what tribulation you face, you can still have peace in your heart. Because of Jesus. Paul told the Philippian church that this peace guards our hearts and minds. So if the peace of Jesus rules your heart, then it casts out of your heart anxiety. It casts out worry. You trust in a sovereign God who is in control of every second of history and present and future. And so Paul encourages these Christians in the church of Colossae to let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. You who are weary and anxious and struggling with fear, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Give your worry over to a sovereign God. I would encourage you, friends, to memorize that phrase. Speak that scripture into your own life when you are in moments of unrest. Make that your prayer. God, God, let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. So that's sort of the inward peace rooted in our union with God. But there's a second component that I think Paul has in view here. and Sort of an outward expression of it. He said, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Paul picks up that that unity theme that we have been seeing in this book. The peace of Christ is also the peace of the church. When the peace of Christ rules in the hearts of the church members, then the church is at... Peace. We are called in one body. And so there's this unifying effect for the church when our hearts as individuals are ruled by the peace of Christ. It impacts how we treat others and live at peace with others. There's an old story that comes from the Salvation Army. In the last century, it tells of a strong-willed woman who had been named Warrior Brown. And that was her nickname. And they gave her that nickname because she had this fiery temper. And she was often belligerent. She came enraged whenever she got drunk. And then one day, she was converted. Her entire life was wonderfully changed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so at an open air meeting... A week later, she told everyone that what Jesus had done for her and how she came to faith in Jesus, how she had been changed. And suddenly, a, a scoffer, someone who didn't believe her, who, who was an unbeliever, who, um, who, who got angry at her story, threw a potato at her. And it caused a, a stinging bruise. And had she not been converted, she would have lashed out at the man furiously. God's grace, however, made such a profound change in her conduct that she quietly picked up the potato and put it in her pocket without saying a word. And no more was heard from that incident until several months later when they were hosting what they called a harvest festival. This lady, who had become known as Warrior Brown, brought an offering of a little sack of potatoes. She explained that after that open air meeting, she had cut up and planted the insulting potato that had hit her and was now presenting to the Lord... What she called the increase. Warrior Breen Brown have allowed the peace of Christ to be the ruler of her heart. And it showed in how that she then began to live at peace with others. Friends, that's what we ought to strive for. To let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Inward, inwardly in your personal life. And then outwardly as we, as we live at peace with others. There is a heart attitude that we must approach this with. So, what's in the heart of a Christian? The second thing we see here that that Paul mentions is thanksgiving. What's in the heart of a Christian? Thanksgiving. So, repetition, when you see repetition in the Bible, that indicates importance. And we are told in, in these few verses three times be thankful see it there at the end of Colossians 3.15. You see it again in verse 16. Paul says that our heart attitude when we sing songs to the Lord ought to be a heart of thanksgiving. And again in verse 17, every single thing that we do, we do with a heart of of thanksgiving now, that theme of thanksgiving is a prominent theme in this letter we have seen a, a prayer of thanksgiving in chapter one if you remember back then we saw in chapter two how we how we are established in the faith abounding in thanksgiving paul says and then in this little text we sort of see that the trinity of Thanksgiving. three times we see this instruction this this heart attitude that is to impact everything that we do a heart of thanksgiving We are to be full of gratitude to God for for everything that He has done for us. And this too, I think, is related to the unity that that Paul is trying to build in this church of Colossae. If we are full of gratitude to God for what He has given us, it will be much easier for us to set aside any petty differences or or issues and live at peace with one another. And thankfulness is that hard attitude that, that guards us against bitterness. You cannot... Be bitter at your circumstance when you are continually being thankful to God. And we have much to be thankful for, don't we? Pastor, what if my car broke down and I just lost my job, my spouse died, my retirement fund ran out of money, whatever scenario you can think of, and you say, just my life is in the pits. I can't see anything to be thankful for. Dear friends, if that's you or... Or if that ever becomes you, consider your lowly state apart from Jesus. You were dead in your sins. You were, as the Bible describes, an enemy of God. You were blind. You were lost. You were headed to an eternity in hell. God rescued you through faith, gave you eternal life in Him. He sent His Son to face His holy wrath on the cross so that you can have eternal life. He performed a miracle in your life to bring you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, Peter would say. He gave you His grace when you deserve nothing but judgment. And you can't think of something to be thankful for to God. The greatest thing to be thankful for, if you are Christian, is yours always. Because it's Jesus Christ. And you are hidden in God with Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Be thankful for every breath, for every step, for every suffering, for every joy. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Friends, let your heart be full of thanksgiving to the Lord. And when this is a struggle for you, when your life is in those moments where you feel like you're in the pits and and you struggle to be thankful to Him, center yourself on the Gospel. Be reminded of what you are thankful for. And that's why this sort of final put in, the final uh, heart condition, the final thing that we see that should be in the heart of a Christian is to let your heart be full of the Word of Christ. To let your heart be full of the Word of Christ. I'm going to read this verse in the NASB translation, because I think it, along with a couple of other translations, uh, translate this verse a little bit better than the ESV that I typically preach from, uh, concerning how the the participles relate to each other and and the modifying phrases that relate to them. And so just for clarity's sake, I'm going to preach this verse at this moment from the NASB, and this is how it translates it. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing One another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Deep in the heart of a Christian must dwell the very Word of Christ, the gospel truths, the teachings of Jesus as as revealed in the Word. We must be a people who, who hide in our hearts the very Word of God. Now that, as Christians, might not be surprising to us. The, the Bible's full of passages that, that tell us to do that, to meditate upon the, the Word of God, to hear it, to study it. Nor is it surprising to us what we are to do with the Word of Christ that is dwelling within us. We are to, with all wisdom, teach and admonish each other. So, so we take this Word of Christ and we, we teach it to each other that, that Christ may continually dwell deeper and deeper and richer and richer in all of our hearts. But perhaps in this text, what is surprising is the means, at least one of the means taught here, by which we are to teach and admonish each other. He says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. There's a parallel passage to this in Ephesians that I think is is helpful We're told to be filled with the Spirit. And he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And that means there is a teaching ministry that you as a Christian are responsible for. And Amelia, you may say, "But, but pastor, I'm not a teacher. I'm not called to be some kind of teacher. And that's true. You may not, be called to be a teacher, but you are called to teach and admonish and at least this one way. This is a teaching ministry that you are responsible for as a member of this church who gathers together with other members of this church. You are responsible for the teaching and admonishing of other members of this church through your singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so the Bible presents the preaching of the Word of God as primary in the gathering of the local church. Scripture is clear that the preaching of the Word exhorts us and encourages us, rebukes us. It is essential and it is primary. Same for personal Bible study. You are to open up the Word of God to meditate and study on it. Essentially important for the life of the believer. And music can't replace those things. But I tell people this often. Um, When people leave this gathering... This morning or any other Sunday, they don't leave reciting my sermon points. You know what people do when they leave on Sunday mornings? They leave singing the songs that we sang. God has created us in such a way that, that music impacts our souls. And this is true, really, whether you're a Christian or not. Music has a, an impact on us, it sometimes helps us. And you can see it from an early age. You know, my kids, they light up when their favorite songs are played. My daughter, Abby, that song for her right now is Baby Shark. Uh, I'm not going to sing Baby Shark for you, because if you hear it, it will get stuck in your head, and it will annoy you to no end. But right now, my Baby Shark is her jam. My mother and father-in-law were kind enough... To buy my kids a puzzle, that when you put the pieces of the puzzle in, it plays the parts of Baby Shark. Oh, I just love that, that toy. Love it. And Abby used her $10 that she received at Christmas, and we, let her, we took her to the toy section at Kohl's, and she could pick out anything that was under $10. And of course, she bought this, this microphone that plays Baby Shark and amplifies her voice as she sings Baby Shark. I'll tell you what, Uh, recently I got to stay home with Abby because she was sick. Uh, I took Silas and Ellie to daycare and uh, Abby had been sick. She was not feeling well. She felt terrible. You want to know what made her feel better? Playing Baby Shark 25 times in a row and running around the house to it. The music impacts us. How important then is it? That we as as the people of God sing songs that help us know the word of Christ. Paul says it's essential. We sing psalms. You open up your Bible right to about the middle, you'll find them. The psalms is a a song book. Many of the songs that we sing on on Sundays are based upon, use the words of of the psalms. We sing the psalms, hymns. Now you may immediately think of the hymn book that's, that's sitting there in front of you. Um, Those hymns weren't around when Paul wrote this. He didn't have that particular set of songs in view when he said hymns. Hymns are are simply expressions of praise to God. We looked at an an early hymn actually in this book based on the structure in the Greek. We talked about how, how Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 was most likely a hymn that Paul was quoting Back to the church a hymn that they would, would sing regular in their gatherings. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. And in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to Dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. A beautiful hymn that, as the church would have sung that hymn, it taught them and admonished them. Spiritual songs most likely emphasized testimony. And so an example of that might be Revelation chapter 5, 9 through 11, a spiritual song we read. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you are slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. The point of, of Paul listing those three things, songs, hymns, spiritual songs, is, is to say that they sang a variety of songs. Old songs, new songs, fast songs, slow songs, songs with varying themes, repetitions, doctrines, exuberant songs, reverent songs. Just, just look through the, the, Psalm, the songbook of Israel and you'll see a varied amount of themes, different instruments that were used, uh, different attitude, heart attitudes that we approach in the singing of God. There are a million objections and excuses that you can give to exclude yourself from participating in this and none of them are valid. But Pastor Brent, I I don't have a good singing voice. I don't know how to sing on key and I get really self-conscious about it. I don't want to be a distraction to all the people around me. Friends, do you think that little of us? That you think your singing voice could distract us from worshiping God? And if someone is distracted or offended by your singing, they're in the wrong, not you. Let me tell you, friends, I am more encouraged when people who are not musically inclined boldly sing to the Lord. You teach and admonish me when you sing and I cherish it. It causes me to love the Lord more deeply. But, Pastor Brent, I don't like these new songs that we're singing. Or, or maybe this music style is, is not my preference. Hymns are boring. Contemporary songs are, are annoying. I'll only participate in the songs that I like. If you take that attitude, do you know what you're doing? You have made the worship of God about you, about your preferences, about pleasing you. And what's the purpose of worship? To please God and to teach and admonish those in the congregations. Friends, it's not about you. And when Bob and I choose hymns that we sing, we do so because we believe that those songs will help you let the word of Christ dwell in you. We believe that those songs, when we sing them together, teach and admonish us. And you know, when we introduce a new song, we, we do so because we, we believe that it, it teaches you the Word of God. It teaches you doctrine. It, it helps the Word of Christ dwell in you. So, for instance, take the, the most recent song that we have introduced. And we, we've sang it like the last three weeks. His mercy is more. And when you are in a season of, of struggling and doubt and you, and you feel the weight of your sin... And you repent, but you, you're just still so broken over your sin that, 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 that you feel condemnation. And in that moment, say to yourself, What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Throw into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Truth grounded in Scripture that, that help you in your Christian walk. The church make the effort to learn the songs that we sing, from the hymns that are hundreds of years old to the modern hymns written three months ago. We carefully choose them that you might be taught and admonished. So do what Psalm 96 tells us to sing a new song to the Lord. you can give a million excuses, none of them are valid. We're commanded by God to sing. But that's not our primary motivation. I want you to notice what our motivation to sing is. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We sing because we are thankful to God. One of the primary ways that we express thanksgiving to God is offering Him a sacrifice of praise through our singing. The heart of a Christian is full of the Word of Christ. And we fill it, and we fill others in part, by our singing to the Lord. So families, fill your home with music to the Lord. Fill your car with music to the Lord. And so let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul then gives a, a summary statement of application that I think helps us understand what to do with all that we've learned over the last three weeks. The put-offs, and the put-ons, and the put-ins. And so this is kind of a final application that I think that summarizes all of that. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so, that's... An exhaustive list, from walking your dog to working your job to playing video games to reading books to, to cooking out with your neighbors, everything you do, do it in a way that honors the Lord. You are His representative on earth. So everything that you do then is in His name. So friends, let's fill ourselves with the word of Christ and leave to go do everything in His name. I wanted to give us an opportunity to respond to Paul's instruction to sing homs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I've asked the band to come up at the end of the, when I pray here and to sort of lead us in a few more songs to be able to sort of put into practice what it is that Paul's instructed here. And just let me encourage you with this as we sing. Don't let the words of these songs pass you by without considering them, without you being taught and admonished by them. This is a learning opportunity and it is a teaching opportunity for you. Hear the congregation sing to God and receive the teaching. Sing to the Lord and so teach others in the room. And that's what it means to be a part of corporate worship. So let's sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs together. Let's pray. God, we come to you now with a humble heart recognizing all that you have done for us. And God, as we sing these truths, a hymn, a song, and a spiritual song, may we do so with thanksgiving in our hearts for what you have done. May we do so with a heart that would help teach and admonish others. And God, may we receive the teaching that's found here.